Amen. Today we are going through, um, if you're a guest with us, welcome, and we're just working our way through 1 Corinthians, and you happen to join us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which I'll read in uh, the verses in a moment. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each one that's here this morning, for all those that we recognize your sovereignty in having us at a particular place at a particular time. And so, Lord, um, give us hearts that are hungry to hear, ears that are open to hear your word and willing to receive it. Because we know you're always speaking through your word. So help us to apply it in the way you would like us to, each of us individually, to take away from your word this morning something that can renew our minds and and change the way we think and refresh our hearts to make them more like yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 11, in honor of God's word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do, not, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. You can tell the pastor's getting old when he comes to church and forgot to bring his Bible. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but <laughs> actually, I, I have, you know, the laptop and the phone, so I'm good. <laughs> Thank God we have multiple ways. I mean, think of the blessing that of this age in which we live in that we have the word so readily. <laughs> That's okay. No, it's really, I don't need it. Yeah, sure? I'm sure. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it, Ricky. Uh, we have the word in so many different forms. You know, for centuries, the early centuries of the church, they were lucky to have a papyrus of the Gospel of Mark or maybe Matthew or something. And it, maybe a church collected a couple letters from Paul in one gospel. They would have been really blessed. And it's all, it was only until, you know, the 
invention of the printing press that the average person could, even then, in the beginning, uh, a printed Bible cost a lot of money. And now we have it everywhere, thank God. And it can be distributed so easily. It's wonderful that these apps, the Gideons have a Bible app, and they've got the U Bible and all these different ones, and you can just pick your language, you know, from Afghani to Zimbabwe's or whatever, <laughs> A to Z, you know. It's wonderful. Praise God. Um, so we've reached this point where there's a turn taking place in the letter to the First Corinthians. He's been... Paul has been ad addressing different problems in the church, these factions that have formed, and now in chapters 12 to, to 14, he's going to be addressing spiritual gifts. But still with this underlying theme that he's had throughout the letter to this point uh, of unity, how important it is for the church to be united, for to everyone that's involved in a congregation to have that sense of family, that that each one in the family is important and necessary. Um, it seems like the church in Corinth was overemphasizing spiritual gifts, and so Paul needed to address the subject to, to bring a balance, just as he had pre previously in this letter addressed head coverings and communion. But So now he's addressing spiritual gifts. Verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now concerning indicates that he's responding to a question in a letter from Corinth. Uh, somebody had come from Corinth, they brought, brought a letter, they brought uh, news of how the church was doing, and that's why Paul's writing this letter. And he's glad to answer the question so that the church sees the importance of every member in the body. The Greek word in verse 1 for spiritual gifts is pneumaticon, and it's not like the word for gifts in the rest of the chapter, which is charismata. So even though it's translated the same in English, there's a little difference here when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. A better translation of that Greek expression would be spiritual things or spiritual persons. Now concerning spiritual persons. He, and I, I, it's my guess, and I based on the rest of the chapter and what's been going on in this letter to the Corinthians, what's been going on in their church, that he's addressing individuals who thought that their gifts put them in a class above others, that it somehow made them super spiritual or super special. Paul wants us to understand that all gifts of the Spirit are for the benefit of the entire church. So Paul uses the word gifts, charismata, 16 times in his letters. The only other place it's found is in the letters is in 1 Peter 4.10, where Peter asks us to use the gifts to serve one another. Very similar to the Apostle Paul's, identical to the Apostle Paul's message. But some of the uses of the word are not what we would expect in Paul's letters, especially if you've been in, influenced by the charismatic movement which emphasizes these spiritual gifts. D.A. Carson gives us a list of all the different uses of that word charismata in Paul's letters. Starting with Romans uh, 1.11, wrote, uh, Paul wrote that the gifts were for mutual encouragement of the faith. So 
the result should be mutual encouragement of the faith, and it's specifically in 111 that it generates life over Adam's sin, that charismata is the gift of God in Jesus Christ, that's Romans 6.23. The gift is the election of Israel, that's 11.29. And the list of gifts are presented in Romans 12, 6 to 8, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little later. In 1 Timothy 4.14, Timothy's told not to neglect the gift given him through a prophetic message when the elders laid hands on him. And in 2 Timothy, there's another similar expression, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, where he's told to fan into flame the charismata, the gift of God. So most of us, when we hear those words, spiritual gifts, uh, we think of prophecy in tongues. But we see from Carson's list in this passage that it means the meaning's much broader than just prophecy or tongues or some kind of miraculous action. Verse 2 and 3, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul begins this uh, message about the gifts, giving a warning about evil spiritual influence. Before they came to Christ, they were, they were drawn to worship stone images, images that couldn't speak. It, it may have been the cultural pressure that draw, drew them to do that, or it may that be that they thought they would get something from those stone images. You know, the, the Greeks and Romans thought if you worship certain images and the, the god or goddess behind them would grant you certain things if you gave it certain things or did certain things for that god or goddesses. But the big difference in how they worship idols and how they worship Jesus is that Jesus speaks. His word speaks, right? It's not a deaf idol, a dumb idol that can't say anything. So those who worship idols won't say Jesus is Lord because they, have, uh, they haven't accepted him as Lord. They see the idol as a God or Lord. One reason they worship idols is idols don't demand a change of life from the worshiper. Usually the belief is idol just wants some offering. But those who are surrendered to the Spirit of God know Jesus is Lord of all and they yield to his lordship. So they will readily say Jesus is Lord. They want to hear his voice, not be confused by other voices. But when we read this, sometimes people take it super literally and say, well, if, if, someone's, uh, not a, uh, if someone's a Christian, they can't utter the words, Jesus is accursed. Oh, I just did it. I'm a believer. <laughs> or they say, say Jesus is Lord to prove that you're a believer. Well, anybody can say the words, Jesus is Lord, and not be a believer. I have met many people who could say the words, Jesus is Lord, who've said it often, but who caused division and were ungodly in their example of life. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus above all else. So what Paul means here is the confession of one's faith and allegiance. It's someone declaring the truth of their heart that to them, Jesus is the Lord of their life. There may have been those uh, people with uh, 
ecstatic utterances in pagan worship that, that cursed Jesus. Or there may have even been Jews who they argued with and contended with, trying to win them over to the understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. Who would say Jesus is accursed? But what makes believers different from the rest of the world is our surrender to Jesus as Lord. Lord of our lives. Lord of how we behave. Lord of the things we say and where we go and what we do. Unbiblical teaching and counterfeit gifts should have no place in God's church. Paul may be implying that, that they didn't turn from idols to Jesus by some great insight that they came up with on their own. It was a gift from God who opened their eyes to the meaningless worship of an image and revealed to them the love of Christ who died for us. They didn't earn or deserve a gift. It was God's grace. And that makes everyone in the church equal. All those who are born again were gifted with the revelation that Jesus is Lord. That, that was the expression of the early church. That was their confession of faith. He's the Lord of our life. And that's the greatest spiritual gift, knowing him as Lord. When the Lord gives the believer the right to minister in his name, it's an occasion for humble brokenness and thankful service, not self-importance, super spirituality, or arrogant service. Verse four through six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who powers them all in everyone. So God is God of a great variety. Amen? Look around the church. There's a great variety here this morning. And I think God loves that. Look at creation. Look at the variety of human beings, short, tall, blonde, redhead, slender, round, black, white, and that's only just on the outside. There are a variety of organisms in the world, and their interdependence is astounding. The members of the body of Christ, which are individuals who make up the church, have similar varieties in gifts and callings. And God distributes various types of gifts and callings to serve in various ways according to his design and plan for everyone. In all that variety, the thing that's common is that God, the Spirit, the Lord, is the empowerment and giver behind it all. The service that each person's called to corresponds to the gift that they've been given. And since it's God-given, we can be sure it's an essential part of his plan and should work together with all the other gifts in the body of believers. Notice in verse 4 to, four to 6, there are varieties of gift, varieties of service, varieties of activities, and they're said to come from the same Spirit, Lord, God. Now, if we get lost in the differences between gifts and service and activities between Spirit, Lord, and God, I think we're missing Paul's point here. Paul's overarching principle is that every member has something the body needs. Their gift or service all comes from God. There's a marvelous unity in a church's diversity. 
It's God who's the energy in all and coordinating it all. If a church accomplishes anything of eternal significance, it's the effect of God's power manifested in the activity of the various gifts. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is really a summation of his whole uh, message here on gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Members of a local body of believers are not in competition with one another. Their gifts, their service, their activities are to be building one another up in love. Each is serving for the common good of all. And the focus on the individual members is not on what they can receive, but on what they can give to one another. Many of the organized religious meetings of today are just the opposite. Attendees come to find out what they can get, what they can receive, rather than what they can give. If we approach our gathering together as a place to meet our needs, we're being like any organization in the world. I know for a while, uh, gosh, it's probably been 20 years, 25 years ago, there was this big movement, find out what the needs of the community are and, and preach to those needs and help with those needs. Well, that's a good thing to meet the needs of, of the community, but it, it draws people who want their needs to be met rather than what they can give. The church is a place where believers come together to grow together so they can go out and minister, not only to one another, but to others as well. Our participation is to be giving our unique manifestation of the Spirit to add to all the others for the good of all. If each of us can learn to glory in the fact that we matter little except in relation to the body, and if each will acknowledge the worth in every other member, then perhaps the cells of Christ's body will begin acting as Christ intended. That's a quote from Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. All gifts except that of spiritual prayer language that's not translated are for the building up of one another. It says that clearly in 1 Corinthians 14.4. Imagine the beauty the world would see if everyone in the church was here for the purpose of others and not for themselves. People come and go because they don't get what they want. But that's not why we gather. We gather to give, not to get. And in the process, we receive what we really need. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we want to be blessed, we'll come to give. Every identity and ability are for the good of others. Our self-focused culture, nor any worldly culture, will ever be able to understand this. It just does not make sense to the world. It only happens in a body of believers who are yielded to the Holy Spirit. Living for the common good is the idea behind communism. But without the Spirit of God and the gifts of the Spirit and the service that comes from those gifts, it ends up with everyone seeing how little they can give, 
how little they need to do to get by. Communism fails because people without the spirit are selfish. That's the old nature. That's the nature we're born with. That's why there are very few kibbutzes left in Israel. And the ones that you will find uh, are really took on a more uh, capitalistic approach. Each person had their part and they received the money from their part. The same thing, I don't know if you know the history, but the same thing happened when the, with the pilgrims. As much as the pilgrims were trying to uh, bring the gospel to the Native Americans and to the New World, at what the original colony had everybody working together in a commune type thing, and they were starving to death. When they divided up the land to in individual people and said, this is your plot, that's your plot, that's your plot, they began to prosper. Why is that? It's because we're basically selfish. And if we're all supposed to do something, we will see how little we can do. So it, that also tells me if they were filled with the Spirit, if they were uh, expressing the gifts of the Spirit, they could have been prosperous. The only way we can see verse 7 lived out is in a group of Christians filled with the Spirit and obeying Jesus' command to love one another. We see that in the early church in Jerusalem. Now, naturally, our old nature thinks everyone volunteering their part would be nice, but then we start comparing our efforts with others and we start becoming critical and we start backing off. It doesn't matter what others do. If you are serving the Lord and not yourself, there is no need to compare. It's the Lord whom you are serving. This verse is telling us that if we have received grace, we have grace's gifts. Some people say they don't have a gift or don't know what it is. Paul says to each is given. If you're a believer, God's given you a gift. It's who you are and the talents you were born with plus a God-given ability. We often look for the mystical thing that's super spiritual and overlook the very practical, which is most, most needed and can be a manifestation of the spirit when it's offered in love. Verse eight, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So examples of gifts, spiritual gifts begin here in verse eight and list nine of the gifts of which the Corinthians must have, must have been practicing. It's not a complete list as we saw earlier um, as, and other gifts are mentioned in Romans 12, six to eight. And the only gift mentioned in Romans 12, 6 to 8 list that we find in this list is prophecy. The ones that differ from this list that are in Romans are teaching, exhortation, service, leading, giving, and acts of mercy. Now that sounds a lot less mystical than the list we have here, but the point is not that together they make up all the gifts, but there's a great variety of gifts, and some are very practical, and all are equally important. Paul's not defining each or pri 
prioritizing one above another, but rather emphasizing that all the gifts come from the same spirit for the common good of all. Word of wisdom is to declare wisdom from above regarding the gospel of Jesus. Others see it as, as divine insight into a given situation. Now, Paul's not referring to the eloquent rhetoric, rhetoric used to convince people. In fact, he denounced that in the first chapter. This is not a manifestation of one's intellect. This gift is a manifestation of the spirit. The utterance of knowledge. This is inspired teaching or insight into the scriptures. Others believe it's supernatural insight into a person's life or situation. In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul commended the Corinthians' speech and knowledge, but then in chapter 8, he addressed their misuse of knowledge that did not take into account or consider others' needs. When gifts are manifested, they're always to be for the common good. Verse 9, to another faith by this same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit. Did you know faith is also a gift? We, we have faith if we came to Christ, but then there's also a, a, this gift of greater faith. Some people have extraordinary trust in God and his word, especially little children. This gift can increase by hearing God's word, we're told in Romans 10, 17. Healing is a supernatural restoration of physical or emotional health. Now, I know there's a great debate in the, between denominations about did all the gifts end? Uh, they're, they're called cessationists. Did all the gifts end? Because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us um, that... Uh, when that, thank you, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will di disappear. And so they say, what is perfect is the word of God and it's come. I think the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which we'll see in a few weeks, is clearly talking about the consummation of the age when Christ returns, not, not uh, when the Bible is printed and in everyone's hands. So um, ha have, have the gifts of the Spirit ceased? Well, when we look through all these gifts of the Spirit, you'd have to say, okay, teaching has ceased, exhortation has ceased, giving has ceased, serving has ceased. You'd have, it doesn't work, you see? So if we're going to eliminate only the spiritual ones or the supernatural ones, uh, we're not, I don't think we're being consistent with the Word of God. True, which is a gift, a charismata. Amen, amen. And it's a supernatural gift. Uh, I've personally witnessed a blind person see. I've personally witnessed healings of different kinds. It doesn't happen all the time. I, I, uh, elders prayed for a lady who had uh, macular de degeneration. She went back to her eye doctor and he said, I don't know what happened, but you don't have macular degeneration anymore. Amen. Uh, uh, we used to have a musician who would fill in in the summer, had terrible back pain all the time. Um, the elders prayed for him. He's never had back pain since. That was 10, 15 years ago. Um, a lady went with us to Israel, and at the, at the pool of Bethesda, we, I just, it just suddenly dawned on me, well, Jesus prayed here for this man, and he was healed of paralysis, so does anybody need prayer? We prayed for her. She, 
she just happened, she was staying up the street here and happened to see our pamphlet on the trip to Israel and signed up, Ileana Cataldo. And uh, she asked for prayer for her back. She had to fly separately because she couldn't sit up in a plane. So she had to get first class where she could really recline. And however, coming back, we both landed in Atlanta at close to the same time. She came running up to us and said, I sat up the whole flight. And I have no pain. And years later, she called me and told me another prayer. It's kind of confidential that we prayed that day had been had been had happened as well so um, I have too many friends on the mission field who witness physical miraculous things happen to say that uh, these kind of gifts have ceased uh, amen okay verse 10 to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, there's a, I think, again, we have a little problem in the translation here of working of miracles. Uh, because uh, I think that conveys something to us today that's different from what Paul intended and what the Greek actually says. In the Greek, the phrase is the working of powers or effective power. Now, Paul expressed in chapter 1, verse 18 and 24, that the preaching of Christ crucified is the power of God. Same word for power there. Paul said his preaching was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So if we interpret powers from other uses in this letter, we might interpret it as effective preaching of God's word. In other words, preaching the word in the power of the spirit that brings about change in the hearer, which is miraculous, but not what we think of as miracles. Now, I'm not saying that the spirit does not give miraculous signs in the New Testament or since. We have ample testimonies of miracles. I'm just saying we might be misinterpreting that particular phrase. Whatever Paul's intended meaning here, the gift was not to exalt a person, but for the common good of all in the body. Prophecy, we introduced that a few weeks ago. It's to speak forth the word of God for a given situation and can apply to that particular time or other times as well. Now we get more clarification of that in chapter 14. This would naturally be mentioned beside the previous gift of effective power as related to proclaiming the word. Now, and if you're interested in all the various interpretations of, because uh, prophecy, which is the Greek word prophemi, to speak forth, um, there's so many different interpretations out there of what that means. I gave a list for you in the footnotes of the sermon. Discernment or distinguishing between spirits, properly judging prophecies or a person's source of inspiration. Tongues. In the, in the scripture, a tongue is a language capable of either being understood immediately by the hearers or capable of interpretation. Paul insists that tongues must be interpreted in order for edification to occur. The gift of tongues occurs in, in all of the gifts of list in 1 Corinthians, but is mentioned nowhere else in the other Pauline letters. Now, this does not imply the gift wasn't present in other churches, 
but rather that it may have been a problem in the Corinthian church. Tongues is also mentioned three times in the book of Acts. Of course, the first time was Pentecost, when the 120 in the other room spoke in other languages and the people there understood them, understood the message. And then again with uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, 44 and 48, the first time Gentile believers uh, came to the faith and uh, that was assigned to them because it had also been assigned to, to the, the early belief, the apostles. So when they saw the, the Gentiles speaking in tongues, they said, must be that they're filled with the Spirit too. We've got to acknowledge that Gentiles can be filled as well. And then later on, when, when Paul met with uh, a group of John's disciples, and um, brought them to faith in Jesus, and they spoke in tongues as well. That's Acts 14, 28. Um, so interpretation of tongues, the next one listed here, to interpret an utterance from an unknown language. It could also be a person who has a natural ability to learn foreign languages. Some people just have a gift of that and can speak, you know, eight, ten languages and can therefore interpret for foreigners because the word tongue there literally means languages. But it can be a God-given natural ability or a supernatural one, especially if the language is, is not an earthly language. If the utterance is a heavenly language, it would take a supernatural gift to interpret it. If it's a language with, with which the person's familiar, then of course it's a natural gift. But you know, I think there's something in between too. It, again, this is just my, my input on this. I know a missionary friend that goes to Peru periodically and uh, ministers in little villages in Peru. And he has a translator with him. And he's speaking, the translator translates, he's speaking, the trans he's speaking, translator won't translate. He says, what's wrong? Why won't you translate? He said, you're speaking Spanish. He knew a little Spanish, but he wasn't fluent by any means. But God made him fluent. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The same spirit is the source of the various gifts and God distributes the gifts according to his will. Now chapter 14 says we should desire the best gifts, um, those that build up the body, prophecy, exhortation, but ultimately it's God who knows which are best for us and for the body as well. Complaining about your gift or calling is to complain about God's will for you. It's also misguided in that it doesn't recognize the need for every gift to make up the whole functioning of the body. And we'll see that in the, in the next chap passage. I'm debating about whether to tell you this or not. I, I think it's probably good. Um, one, one time I really wanted the gift of healing. You know, I know. I know so many people that are hurting all the time. And I prayed and I asked, God, please, I want the gift of healing. Please give me the gift of healing so I can help these people. And, it, and the Holy Spirit told me, if you had it, it would go to your head. 
So I said, oh, okay. I get it. So how does this all work? Let me give you an illustration. One person has a gift of warmth and outstanding, outgoing personality. We have some people in our congregation like that. He's just naturally inviting people to church. The person he invited comes, they're moved by the music, a natural gift enhanced by the spirit. His heart opens up and he receives the word that's preached, another natural gift, but enhanced by the spirit, which may mean a prophetic word touches the person's heart. And then someone with the gift of hospitality invites them to lunch. And, and a, another person comes along and that person just happens to have the gift of evangelism and shares the way of salvation with them. The person prays and receives Christ. They come back to church. Somebody notices coming back multiple times. He gets connected with them and says, you know, you need to grow in the word. Can I help you grow in the word? I'd love to disciple you. And he says, yes. And what do you know? You've got a disciple follower of Jesus who's an outstanding member of the body of Christ with his own gifts then to share in that whole. So what do all these gifts have in common? They're the same Lord and the same spirit for the glory of God and for the salvation of lost souls and to edifying of the church. They all work together to build up the body for the common good of all. It is never about exalting an individual, but rather it's for the building up of everyone. So what are your gifts? Have you discovered them? Sometimes we discover them by accident. But you will know when it's that God-given gift because you sense something that's little more than just you. Some call it sensing the wind of God filling your sails. I like that expression. Find your gift and use it for the common good of the family of God. If you don't, you'll miss out on the blessing of God working through you and the body's gonna miss out on your contribution that you're meant to give. Thanks be to God for his gifts, for his amazing plan, and for his willingness to work in and through all of us for the good of all, amen? Amen.